Here we are, chatting to Heston Blumenthal and his pal Mark Thomas, Professor of Evolutionary Genetics at University College London. This is such an exciting one, but Dad, tell us how you know Heston. Well, actually, I've known him for quite a long time, I realise. I can remember the first time I went to the Fat Duck, well, it's actually the second time I went to the Fat Duck, and I went for lunch, and I stayed for dinner, and on my way back to London, I thought, where on earth did that food come from? And I've been investigating that basic thought ever since. And he came to write for me on The Guardian, both doing the recipes and then doing a wonderful column called The Appliance of Science, from which I learned a great deal. I can only imagine. And I've been lucky enough to visit the Fat Duck a couple of times. So um, I've got a good, good point of reference for Heston's food. But what on earth does the chef of chefs have to do with evolutionary genetics? Well, to be honest, the one thing I've learned from Heston over the years is that you never get quite what you expect. So I guess it's best to expect the unexpected. Exactly. Let's talk about food. We're talking about food, human beings, diet, microbiome, Imagination. Evolution. I see evolution as running as a sort of background throughout all of that. How do you? How long have you and Heston known each other? How have you actually managed to? How did you meet in the first place? I think we met about eight or nine years ago. We were introduced by a mutual friend, uh, Matthew Said, um, because I was working on um, evolution of diet and evolution of taste preferences and so on and um and so we were introduced and we kind of got on from there well, evolution of diet and taste preferences really it so the whole lactose intolerance yes yes, yes. is that's his him. whole area of exploration yeah the yeah. Evol- yeah. Evol- evolution of orange yellow-footed chickens and agriculture and humans relationship with animals and farming yellow-footed yeah. chickens uh, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah so, so uh, chickens have um typically these days have orange feet yes um but that's caused by a particular gene it affects how carotenoids are processed and um we could show that that gene had been under natural selection it had gone up in frequency over the last you know thousand or so years and we were able to pin down and also there are other, another gene that affects how they behave towards each other, whether they're aggressive towards each, towards each other or not. And we were able to show that that, um, that started being evolving, yeah. being under natural selection, about a thousand years ago when um, there were these new edicts brought in about, um, but Benedictine edicts brought in about eating quadrupeds, eating animals, and a lot of people started eating more, more chicken. So it is possible to, to sort of trace in modern diet... What our ancestors ate, or put it the other way around, is there a sort of Im- impact that, well, how our ancestors ate impacts upon our diet to this day? Well, th- uh, for sure. I mean, di- diets, um, you know, is an, a really major part of all culture, and we are fundamentally cultural creatures. I mean, this is the thing that really distinguishes us from other species. Yeah. So it's, it's integrated there. But also, diet has shaped our biology hugely over the last three million years. It's, I mean, we wouldn't have a big brain like this if it wasn't for really key changes in our diet. Yes, you mentioned the big brain when we spoke briefly last week. I thought that was quite interesting because you spoke about the disadvantages of the big brain. It's a really stupid thing to have a big brain. Yeah, it's a really bad well, choice. Well, even as big as Heston's. Uh, that would be even crazier. I mean, that's really crazy. Um, <laughs> it's, no, I mean, it's, I mean, you know, we try to kill our mothers when we're born, you know, because we're these stupid large heads and it's uh, quite a grisly process as a, 
as a result of that. Excuse me, were you present at your daughter's birth? All three of them, yes. <laughs> yes. So you know how gruesome it is. Uh, it's approximately equivalent to being viciously beaten up by a gang of squaddies in a pub car park. <laughs> Fun, funny enough, I was only present at one of my child's births. Yeah. And that was my son. And it was on the flipping clay line. The ley line, the Grimms' ditch, it was Wickham Hospital at the bottom of the hill. <laughs> and he was upside down. Ah. Zana, my, my ex-wife, who has been a real rock, amazing. I remember going to the hospital at nine o'clock or something. said, oh, you're on for one o'clock. What do you mean you're on for one the, o'clock? The, the, the Caesarean, the operation. Oh, oh I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started whinging, moaning. <laughs> Flipping hell, I've got to wait for this long. <laughs> I'm just remembering this as I'm talking. What? And then the, 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 she was, because Zana was a midwife oh. at Wickham Hospital. So the sister said, well, if it was a natural birth, it could be like a day and a half, two days. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she had an um, epidural yeah. and I would, went into the theatre. Weather, and I love this digging up memories that were sort of they're forgotten, but they're not forgotten. Sort of, they're tucked away and somewhere in inside. Yeah. Your, I was in yeah. the in the in the uh, operating theatre, and there was a green sort of almost like a duck egg, um, uh, actually, cover blanket, and there was a metal frame. So I'm sitting, I'm sitting by Z- uh, Zana's head, and the doctor's the doctors are there, they're doing the operation, there's big calipers going, oh, bloody hell, what? Oh my God. Partly, the chrome was also really cool, but at the same time, oh my word, what are they doing with this? And so, I tried to be like Mr. Hardman, look, but without looking, because yeah, yeah. I was protected by the actual metal frame. Yeah. And then, the, I can't remember the sister, she was, she was wonderful, she said, oh, she took my hand, she said, have a look. So I stood up, and just before that, the doctors are talking about, like, literally what happened on EastEnders last night. <laughs> and they've got all this stuff, these big chrome shiny things, like, it's a bit like once upon a time in the West, you know, there's a gun scene where Henry Fonda pulls it, and this, this chrome gun flashes in the light. And I think Tarantino and, uh, and um, Martin Scorsese said it was really one of the most inspirational moments ever in, in the film. Mm-hmm. And he looks up at the light and he pulls his gun out, and he's the only one with a chrome gun Henry Fonda That's and right. Charles Bonson with harmonica and that yeah. flash on that gun so I'm like oh, this and uh, I mean they bloody hell they, they pulled it I mean it wasn't just like it wasn't like a dainty little in massive in- no, <laughs> it's just, quite a violent process isn't they it they yeah. tugged him out they <laughs> tugged him out they tugged him out and it was upside down which is which Really, really interesting, and he looked like he was covered. I sort of remembered it, he was covered in cottage cheese, <laughs> which is the whole kind of lactobacteria kind of lower gut thing. I'm now remembering it. Pulled it, just I mean, tugged him out. So, anyway, that was my uh, that was uh, your well, birthing story. Actually, one of, the, one of the things I found fascinating about this is the precision of your memory. Mm-hmm. You remember the color of the, of the, of the coverlet, you remember the exact look of, of chrome. Is this something which, which you trace back into your, into your food, your well, cooking, and your the memories that have been are sort of buried and they're coming out now, and it's absolutely 
wonderful. But what I'm, I'm realising at the same time is I'm forgetting names of people. That's interesting. <laughs> I, re- you, I mean, Mark, you're nodding vigorously. <laughs> I could never remember him in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the advantage. Well, I, I remember he's Mark with a K and I'm Mark with a C. <laughs> and Heston, or yes. not Estonia, but Heston yes. is um, apparently, I'm going to swear, but politely swear, it means shit on you in Greek. Heston. Okay. Jonathan Ross' first show. I was sitting in the, in the green room, we're about to go on first interview. I was about 40 odd, and Tina Fey was on the sofa. She's half Greek. So I can hear my name being announced. And as I stand up, she says, You didn't know your name is. Shit on you in Greek. <laughs> Hang on, I'm 40. Hester Blumenthal. So I go on to the interview with Tina Fey just telling me my name is it's shit on you. It's a man to man thing or something. Oh, right. oh, what? Huh? <laughs> huh? So I was a little bit discombobulated yeah. for the beginning of the interview. Yeah, next, understandably. Next morning I get to yeah. Fat Duck and, and uh, just so happened that. Dimitri, my maitre d', was, uh, was, uh, he came in, I said, I mean, does my name mean shit on you in Greek? He looked at me and nodded and smiled. He said, when I I told my mum I was working for a chef called Heston, (laughs) she couldn't believe it. Oh, oh, and then my middle name is Mark with a C, and my surname is Blumenthal. Blumenthal, which is blue flower of the valley type thing. Flower of the valley, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blue flower of the well, I must say that's quite a sort of cross section of various elements from elsewhere, which presumably you could help trace down yes. through mm. through through your yeah. you know, investigations. Well, well, actually, in fact, <laughs> <laughs> actually, in fact, over to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we, I mean, we can look at um, how we evolved in the past with different different ways. So, first, of course, there's archaeology and anthropology but also we can look at our dna and then we can look at dna of people that have been dead for a long time we can get dna out of old bones and so we can trace changes in our dna changes in our biology through time so uh, do our bodies therefore reflect you know, the history of the of, you know, can you trace if you took me apart or you've started you know, but took my dna apart you could actually d- d- dissect all my sort of past history well not all, but yeah, we could we can certainly um, we can certainly dissect dissect parts of it. Yeah, I mean it's it's not DNA alone. It's working with anthropology and archaeology and so on. But you know, we we can under, identify, for example, really major changes in our diet. Um, you know, over the last few million years, I mean, there are really key ones like making stone tools probably allowed us to eat more meat, and then that have allowed us to afford this extremely energetically expensive lump of fat that we keep in our heads. And, um, <laughs> and um, you know, in cooking as well had a really profound influence yeah. um, because, again, it means that we can get more energy, a lot, lot more energy mm. um, from carbohydrates. And, again, we can, that allows us to grow this lump of fat even bigger. Does this have any effect upon on, on the modern... Uh, taste for vegetarianism, or, uh, and, and, and in a sense, the not the battle, but the contrast between meat eaters and, and vegetarians, because we're we're constantly being vegetarianism is being held up as the virtuous way forward. Yeah, sure. I mean, vegetarianism may be virtuous. Um, it, you know, it depends on your ethical views, but but the point is that um, there's no really strong argument that we're naturally primarily vegetarian. You know, I mean, clearly. 
meat-eating is a part of our evolutionary past. Mm-hmm. It's there in the archaeological record. It's very clear. Would we, would we, do you think we would have been able to be the human beings we are now if we'd always been vegetarian? I struggle to see that uh, because it's just too much, too much, uh, too too many nutrients, too much energy is required to to carry this big lump of fat. You know, I mean, it's a bit. It's only it's only about two and a half percent of our body weight, but it consumes about twenty five percent of our energy, sixty percent of our blood glucose. Really? Yeah, it's a hugely greedy thing, and it doesn't shut down either. So you know, it doesn't. I mean, if you you know if you're sitting on the sofa watching daytime TV. You're, you know, you maybe your your muscles are moving less and using less energy. Maybe your liver's using less, but your brain's using just as. Even when you're watching daytime TV, you God, think of Jeremy Vine, and I'm using up as much energy. <laughs> that is a terrible thought. You realise? Yeah. <laughs> how does the, how does yeah. the balance of diet affect that in terms of somebody who's got a more, I don't know, protein rich or carbohydrate rich mm. diet? How mm. does that affect the brain and the size of the brain? Well, I mean, it's so it's not so much that the food directly affects the size of the brain, although it may do to some extent. It's more about that having more energy in our diet allowed us to afford to have this big brain. So, because it would be very risky to evolve something that uses lots of energy if you haven't got the energy, because you're going to die, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, fire and cooking is really absolutely central. And then the tastes are, are, you know, we must have. When we started cooking, which we actually don't know when it started, uh-huh. I should Do we say, not, no. not really, really, no. Well, no, they weren't writing views. down at that. <laughs> right. I mean, there are different views. I'm, my own view is it's about half a million years ago, but there are some people that put it back a lot further. Some people more recently, but that had really profound effects on on you know what we could do with food. I, I mean, I'm teaching my grandmother to suck eggs here. Obviously, we have in the company of people who know that far better than me. But but the point is that it. Um, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've just said it. But but you know, it's, it's, so we we have to you have to learn either learn or evolve um, to actually appreciate the changes in taste that came with cooking because it improved our nutrition and it also it produces much more complex series of flavors. Closing the loop, or going back to the beginning of what you were saying about us met first meeting, yeah. it was Matthew's side, and, I, and, and basically I read his book bounce first his first book which is the kind of theory that natural born genius doesn't exist and that there's many there's never one reason for anything there's many reasons and he uses many examples from mozart how many thousands of hours he spent doing uh playing his dad was a was a was a a, musician yeah yeah and 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 it could be Tiger Woods, it could be the Williams sisters, it could be, there was many, many examples. And the, even the, the, through the chess, the, the couple that got married, or they had a baby, yeah. with the intention to create the, to, to create the first female world chess champion. And I think they were the second or the third or something. So I've been, I've been learning to play piano. melanie um, has got a, a, a Hammond organ, she's had. It's amazing. And like just, but there's five, six foot pedal, uh, pedals. There's all these button options, and then there's the two key, the two keyboards, and then there's a volume one with your foot. So I've just kept to the volume one, and I'm listening to some notes. It could be down, 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 down. Oh, I missed that. And if I miss key, oops, it doesn't sound right to me, mm. but it's okay. If you feel that someone's not round me going, 
Oh, bless him, you can't do that. So, so I'm learning. I don't know. What, okay, I'm, I'm starting to play piano, and I'm using my feet. to, to the, 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 But I'm not playing around with the other buttons. I'm not, I'm just... But you're doing something also, it seems to be more important than that. You've learned to embrace failure. Yes. And, and that is a really important stage, I think, in the development of anybody, is to recognise. And this yeah. is something you make, actually, the point you make in your book as yeah. well. But what, what, what is your name? Oh, it's, just saying, it's, Ken Robinson, the book, he's catered to, he's a couple of, and that TED Talk is, is just, it's just wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And I've seen it many, many, many times. And he, a couple of things he says in it, and there's many things, is, it, is that we're educating our people from the waist up. It's actually from the feet up. But we started off as a single cell, a bacteria, let's say. We've got to put, drop an anchor somewhere. I haven't came before that. But then the brain, as um, Mark said, is a, it's this big lump of fatty sort of, um, muscle organ type stuff, stuff, stuff. <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Technical the, phrase, the, yeah. Thing, yes. <laughs> the, the, it's kind of I see like a it's a, a gatekeeper for the gut, protection mechanism for mm. the gut, and it's a um, uh, there's that there's a great book, um, the American woman, uh, how emotions are made, Lisa. It's the names thing, isn't it? It's the names thing again, <laughs> and she, she's the uh, for Google. Um, she's said talk, and her point is that the, the this predictive mechanism that the brain is, she calls it a body body budget, and she says that words basically hide emotions. They can be wonderful in poetry or storytelling, in songwriting and stuff, and metaphors. They can be wonderful, but a word is the opportunity for being interpreted or different perspectives. And she basically says that, that, that emotions are categories. So love is a, it's a category. Mm-hmm. It's not a single emotion. And you don't have, so in Japan, they have a word that if somebody gives you, somebody you don't like gives you a nice gift and you really like the gift. And then you go through this conversation with self as a, oh, Oh, what do I? Am I? Do I want to give them a gift back? Do I say I like it because I really like the gift, but I really don't like the person? Mm. And so this whole big me, mini me discussion happens. And there's a there, I can't remember the name, but there's a, there's a name in Japanese for that for the, for that word. And her point is basically that if you think about it as a cross, you've got uh, high energy, low energy, positive, negative. So a high-energy positive emotion could be excitement and a high-energy negative emotion could be um, rage. A low-energy positive could be relaxation and a low-energy negative could be depression. Yeah. And a, she says body budget. So what the, the, one of the main functions of the brain is to disperse, to take in the senses through the sight and the sound of these other things and our memory and all this stuff and then you've only got a certain amount of energy in your body, which you take in from sunlight and, and, and wind and other people and food and all sorts of water. water mostly, mostly food, though. Mostly, mostly food. Food. <laughs> food. food. <Phew>. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then if you're in a moment of stress, let's say, aware or unaware is also different, then the, the brain is continually distributing. It's taking energy from... But moving it to somewhere else, and that's what she calls a body budget. Is that that's? Yeah, it's a perfectly reasonable um, point of view. I mean, you know, we have to remember that although today we have lots and lots of food available, um, for the vast majority of our evolution, food would have been scarce. Yeah. 
Um, and even if there's plenty of it, the population will agree until it's scarce. Um, and so we really have to be very, very careful about managing our energy budget. Of course, we don't do that consciously, but unconsciously, this is one of the major things that the brain does. So with Matthew's book, he writes, Mark's in the book, and, and, and Matthew, coincidentally, or Mark, who knows, um, HR woman got, a, we did a, we had a little conference in at Cliv, um, at Cliveton, and she got Matthew's side, and uh, Pete, uh, he wrote a book with uh, Andrew Strauss about... Um, Pigs. The pigs? Yeah, it was wrestling, pig wrestling, pig wrestling. Pigs. With Andrew's, yeah, the like wrestling pig, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a tub of water. It's continually moving. Ah. And uh, remember his name, but he, he was, he's a sports psychologist. So he and Matthew gave a, gave a talk to 20 of us. Anyway, from there, then that's in Matthew, you have to be this being this <laughs> being being uh, mark <laughs> and then and then we start we just we just then we ended up spending quite a bit of time together chewing the fat did you chewing the fat not that yeah chewing the fat completely completely and i remember mark and from conversations when we had a when we took this now i mean you could say what we're doing now is really exciting stuff it's more about focusing on a relationship with food through evolution and how the evolution of with cooking and music and sound and vibrational energy and water and mm. blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he said to me, remember, we, we, we were also we were at Clifton. We had like a two-day workshop. And there were six of us for lunch. And Richard Seymour that did the, 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 the sweet shop design for the, the duck and the knife at the Perfectionist Cafe. And he did the, the Alice in Wonderland watch. And he's amazing. Anyway, I always remember this. Mark said to me, you've talked about fast food. And this connects to Ken Robinson's talk about how we were educating from the waist up. And I never thought about this. He said, as we've refined our foods, we've made food much easier to get. This is one of the things of connectivity, human connection. We don't have to climb a mountain anymore to get water every morning. And we can press a button. So what's happened in the process is an incredible thing. Human beings have managed to make food so readily available that we don't value it. Anymore. Correct, we become lazy eaters. So yeah. our whole endocrine hormonal system mm. doesn't work for the same reward, the rewards that way in the way that it did before. And he said that, uh, that, that I mean, he's sitting right next to me, but I'm just recalling that it, it was it wasn't those <laughs> seeds that slow dripping tap that I kept on going back to it, and it made more and more sense. Fast food, you refine the sugar. We don't have to chew through twigs and wood and stuff anymore to get all, all the fibre that, that, that really helps the, low, the bacteria in the lower gut. It's instant gratification. Yeah. So the fast food is not about fast food because you can argue that pizza is fast food because a good pe- the uh, authentic Naples pizza is like a minute and a half maximum yeah. to cook. Yeah. However, to grow the tomatoes and the, and the, and the wheat and the flour and, and produce the, meat, the mozzarella and the olive it oil. It takes and the, such a long time. The only thing that's fast about a pizza it's eating it. It has to be quick. No, <laughs> cooking it. Yeah, yeah, and now eating it. Yeah. Does this all, Mark, does this all sort of very much resonate with, with you? I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, sure. So, you know, I actually, um, we, we just discussed that and that sort of had resonated with Heston really because he was more interested in the, you know, the experiential side of the relationship between, you know, us and food. Um, which is which I am blank to, you know. I mean, I'm. But were you, su- <laughs> were, you were you surprised that a chef should come to you and wanted to explore this particular aspect of? Uh, I don't think it came to me. I think we were set up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> kind of like a blind date sort of yes. thing, you know. It's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, um, it, obviously it was really, uh, exciting for me that a chef will be interested in this side of the, the scientific side of it. I mean, cause I, you know, to me, that's brilliant. You know. Well, I think it's, it's goes, to, goes back to the, right at the beginning of, of, of Heston's sort of journey, this particular journey, where he's, he started off, wasn't he, asking, well, he's always asking questions, isn't mm. he? The, the, the cookery book makes this um, evident. And, and it was, as he told me originally, it was, yeah, he was looking to, to, to cook some French beans, and you look in the, in the cookery books, and they tell you standard, you know, bring a large pot of water, add a whole lot of salt to it, bung in your beans, cook them till the, if you want them to be bright green. And then he just said, why? And no one tells you why. And, that, and that's really what lies behind, it seems to me, this extraordinary mind, really, that, that he's always... Trying to get deeper, behind the curtain, understand. And then obviously, when you can understand, then you can start making changes. Right. You can't really challenge the status quo unless you ask why it's there. Well, blind experiments are, are not as effective as, as guided ones. Yes. And, you, know, you need to understand something behind it yeah. and, and the science behind it in order to guide you on what on coming up with new ideas. Absolutely. You know, so, so, yeah, I can easily see how that works. You know, Obviously, there is also other creative sparks and, and creative processes going on that are kind of beyond me, but... It's nice to watch them in action sometimes. <laughs> well, I'd also be part of, you know, helping him explore many of yeah. these of these things that he's trying to get behind. I'm just thinking about the point he's just made about, you know, the fact that we become essentially quite lazy eaters because everything's at our fingertips and we don't really need to, you know, forage or hunter-gather or anything. How How is that, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe in terms of evolutionary terms, it's too early to tell, but how is that affecting our our evolution as beings the fact that we are for the, and we're not obviously talking about everybody in the world but the vast majority of some people in the world are living without a challenge to eat right so well it, it's i mean it, it it may well be affecting our evolution now but that's that's less a thing i think because it's you know we're we mostly survive yeah. um but it's certainly affecting our health so yeah. you know the that sort of change to modern diets has been implicated in a whole range of um, of what are broadly called diseases of modernity. You know, things like type 2 diabetes, yeah. coronary heart disease, and, and so on. Mm. Do you think, therefore, using your your knowledge and analysis, is it possible, therefore, to to treat uh, eating you know, eating habits, eating diseases, eating conditions um, by because we understand the mechanisms by which you know, we're essentially being manipulated by, by so, what we eat. Yeah, I mean it's a good it's a really good question. It is what I'm interested in actually. So it's um uh I mean the thing is that the conclusions that we come to by trying to analyze past diets, present diets, um, and seeing trajectories of change in diet through time. The conclusions we come to are pretty much the same as what people have known for some time, which is, you know, you should eat more fresh fruit and vegetables, you should eat more unprocessed foods, you know, you shouldn't eat as much um, as maybe we do eat, so shouldn't eat, you know, lots of salt, fat, sugar, yes. rich food. Yeah. It's a tricky but, thing in my view. <laughs> so I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. But, you know, I mean, in terms of in terms of health, we do know that they, they can have a negative impact. Of course, there are ways to ameliorate that yeah. through, you know, through, well, through many culinary routes to, to higher quality food, I guess. But Yes, but, why, but if we know that, why don't we do it? Because the evidence, as you say, to, uh, uh, how diet is, how diet, particularly highly processed foods, is adversely affecting us. Yeah. We know that. Why do we? Yeah. Why do we correct it? Well, okay. So, uh, so one reason is that we've evolved um, uh, abilities, you know, sort of desires to eat certain 
um, nutrients or certain things that are in food. We have a very strong... Fat, sugar, salt. Fat, sugar, salt uh, is pretty much... Well, fat, sugar, salt, and also there are things like, you know, protein and so on, because we have this high avidity for glutamate and inosate and so on. But these, there's only a few things that really drive us. And so if you put us in a natural setting and then say, go for those nutrients, what you'd end up with is a really healthy diet. But in a modern setting, we remove a lot of the other nutrients that come with them. And so we end up with just those things that we have strong taste for. Now, that's understandable because, you know, we're slaves to our to our taste. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, but but unfortunately, that will it's, it's almost inevitable that that will lead us down a route where we're going to have missing nutrients, missing missing components to our diet that are probably important in terms of health. I mean, a classic one that Heston just talked about is is the fiber. You know, we have much, much less fiber in our diet than hunter-gatherers did in the past or even hunter-gatherers today. So yes. are our tastes changing as well? That's less clear, but there is some evidence that um, there are differences in, in different populations around the world that may be in response to particular components of their diets that are local. So there is some evidence for that. Um, but it's more really about our basic biology. Okay. Well, therefore, as another question for him, can people like him, chefs in other words, and therefore examples, exemplars for the rest of us, actually start appreciating these and putting in, let's say, building in fibre into their menus, into their dishes, changing the, the, the structure of some of their dishes and, and, and in order to to meet these particular needs yes i mean uh, absolutely i don't i don't i you know that people aren't going to change their diet because somebody wags a finger at them no. right, and says <laughs> naughty 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 yeah, I mean, exactly <laughs> not. that's the problem oh by the way when he goes on a rant it is a the thing thing of majestic <laughs> a majestic beauty it really is amazing what do you get on a rant about? i've got no opinions about anything anything, so I don't, anything, I don't know anything what he's talking about and you never the most uh, like, uncomfortable in, ter- in terms of the whole thing of looking at human evolution through dna let's say for example yeah. uh, as revered a person respected a person on planet earth that exists with work to do that, yeah, okay, shut the yeah, so wait, yeah. I, I used to cross my hands when to take a compliment, but I'm just saying, from my perspective, you can block your ears, but, but he's really uncomfortable with it. Interesting, he's really uncomfortable with it. And we, at the 50 best, we the, the night is the dinner before the awards, and I remember I was speaking, I thought about this, I, I, I realized I've, I've been. Given, or however you want to say it. Awarded. Ever awarded. Nice one. Thank you. <laughs> That's why you do what you do. Um, every award is possible for a left-handed ginger chef <laughs> to be awarded from the best restaurant, highest new... We put the first dinner there. The, yes. The Chef Chef's Award, the Lifetime Achievement Award. And, and, and when, they, when they decided to... to so well, once you've won it, you're out. So you become a, like a, a, what do you call it? Not a, I'm say it. a pariah. You put a god, pariah, whatever. Yes. A god, I think uh, you But for me, it was such, it was the beginning, another stepping stone in relief. The <sighs> pressure was off because you went up for it again. I can't, I can't lose it. Fear of failure mm. started to go down. Mm. And, but I didn't, I wasn't so aware of this. I thought, hang on a second. The only chef on the planet 
and this is all very recent, this wording like this. Well, your that, recognition of this. Yeah, of actually, I've done all right. I've actually done all right. Why not embrace it? Has Why that not? genuinely only come to you quite recently? Really recently. Really yeah. recently. And so then when I got the Lifetime Achievement Award, I was in Australia when they had the, the 50 best there, and I went to the breakfast TV, and I was talking about how could you have a best restaurant? Yeah, I just want to say for the sake of the listeners, what, let's explain what the 50 best is. So the world's 50 best restaurants sponsored by, he's my constants, San Pellegrino. Yes, water, water. Water, water, water. Water everywhere, but there's nothing to drink because the distribution of water mm-hmm. is an interesting thing. The trouble money. But anyway, I've done... For another podcast, bring, please. Bring it, bring it back. <laughs> not only, but it, it's not even a criticism... Now, it's more of an observation and a perspective that if you somebody uh, makes a, a judgment which is slightly disruptive or antagonistic or against the norm or puts the Joker back into the Batman or, you know, the adversity back into the... If someone does that, that person stands much more chance of having a message if they've been awarded and bestowed stuff. So those awards, and this is where uh, it's an email, short, sharp, sweet, and they're so kind of oxymoron paradoxical. And, and it'll be a one-liner, but on the bottom of it, it's, if you look at Mark's email, the, the whole the Department of DNA Evolutionary... He's uncomfortable again now. The contrast between the email and... The business card yes. yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. is incredible. And for me, that makes it even more, more just incredible mm. where you've got a couple of services <laughs> who happened to find something where they were human beings, where they would be curious and then they'd go, oh, look at that. And so we're going to DNA. Yeah, DNA is a fantastic thing that human beings have created as a foundation for discovery data mm. how we perceive that data these are where we've got to start off with two so like hot cold fast slow uh, positive negative because there's an infinite amount of perspectives mm. and the observer then it's not hot and cold but 72 degrees is 72 degrees as per oh, measurement yeah, yeah. But if we then think 72 degrees is too hot to drink something and, seven, and 72 heartbeat is this and the cholesterol levels are that and our pH blood levels are this and our, our white blood cells are this and the DNA is this, we then become slaves. It's like, it's like social media. We become slaves to the algorithms or the maths because they're all symbols. Numbers are symbols. Yeah. They, didn't, they don't exist in nature. It's our relationship with nature that allowed to evolve our observational connection from Darwinian theory to whatever. We look at this and go, oh, hang on a second. Hang on a second. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. And then you make random, no, not, which are not random, you find ways to link. Mm. Instead of a train track, which is also important, where you know, it's on this, it's got to be like this. But only through humans' scientific research have we been able to start to, to look at this for discovery? So imagination leads to, you get got nonlinear yeah. thinking, then 
collective group of people go, all right, well, we're going to, let's, let's, let's try and turn this into something that we can understand, like one, two, three, four, five. Yeah. Oh, I get that. Yeah, I get that. I get it makes sense to me. And then that grows. That's connectivity. It grows. It grows and it grows. And I think we've got into a position in the world generally, I'm not talking about everyone, where we've moved from a human being to a human doing. And you, if you want to use at some point words you need to use words, so the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system to the sympathetic nervous system. And the two are both as important as each other. And in the hindsight, mm-hmm. there's this thing in Goldleaf and Golden Fireplace that says, fear knocked on the door, faith answered, no one was there. Now that is really open to misinterpretation, like another word is. Any words, almost, apart from these two words, I'll come back to the Nobel Prize thing I was talking about earlier. Fear knocked on the door, faith answered, no one was there. So fear, actually, is fear. That's quite clear. Knocked on door, can you imagine knocking Mm -hmm. on door? Faith answered. Now the word faith is like the word spirituality. It's like the word, it's like philosophy. It has a whole, its potential for different perspectives or different observations is wide open so many people might think and maybe it's it that was its original attention who knows fear knocked on the door that's clear fear fear is that faith answered so people with faith and that i think i did for years i walked past it thousands of times faith ah i imagined like the, the 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 the, what's this called? The Grim Reaper knocking on the door and the priest arrives. Yeah, religion. Yeah, People religion. are going to think religion. Yeah. Instant, yeah. yeah. Instantly. But it could be so many other things. Yeah, so if I, if I could be reworded to say that if, if, your belief, if the belief becomes stronger than the fear... Mm. The or the hope or the hot, positivity the, or whatever the, it is. Yeah, the, yeah. for me, hope, hope is another, another subject. Because <laughs> hoping is like, when I hope I win the lottery... I don't, I don't want to win the lottery. <laughs> Another one oh. with religious connotations, though. Same as... Uh, complete, complete, so, completely. Yeah. So, Could so you just, use the word just, belief instead of, in, 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 instead of faith? Instead of faith. Be- yeah, I think... Or self-belief, I, I think, is probably the... Uh, self-belief. In, in this case. Yeah. So this comes back to the word, the two words, the Nobel Prize thing we were talking about. Two words that I... And this thing here... This person, uh, this, this, not this thing, well, this, this being, person. This, 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 this lump of... This, I'm a materialist, I'm not an idealist. Ma- I, yeah, no, yeah, an I mean, literally, he is a materialist. He's a mass of material energy condensed in various shape and forms at any given one time in any day right. or night moment. So, I thought, why have you had a new Nobel Prize where, we'll give it a different name, it could be, it could be the mark with a K and the C, Mm-hmm. Yeah. KC, 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 KFC, 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 and these two words challenge these two words that in the English language, or I think maybe any language, in the in the relevance for evolution and life, that have no opposite and are more important, or, and are not included. That they, they these are in every single thing that we can imagine. And that is water mm-hmm. and potential. So if you had a competition, a worldwide competition, just matter if you live in a tent, 
you're black, you're white, you're young, you're old, you're mentally handicapped, you've got Alzheimer's, you've got ADHD, you're an artist, you're a policeman, you're a judge, you're a politician, you're the queen, you're anyone, anyone. Chef. You're even a chef. <laughs> <laughs> um, or a DNA biologist. Oh, uh, DNA. Uh, or your name's Mark with the KLC. Then you could open that up to the whole world to say, here's a starting point with two words. Try and find, it's like making the museum of shit ideas, try and find another word or two that can knock one of those words off. Okay. So trying to find a meaningful equivalent. Not a meaningful equivalent. What is more... That what is more fundamental? Words, what, potential. Potential. Potentially is different to potential. Yeah. So potential, and it's different to, it's different to potent. And mm. potential exists in every single thing that human beings can imagine. Can I... Can, can, it strikes me... Is the one, that sounded a bit errant right there. One other thing... <laughs> Let's not overcook things, shall we? The, <laughs> uh, what, what seems that you both really... Um, what you both reflect off of one another is you both, or what binds you together, is you both challenge the orthodoxies. Is that fair? Um, I, I mean, I think that's a part of science anyway, is to challenge orthodoxies, because that's the only way it moves forward, right? So that's, that's kind of, and, you know, each person in their own domain, um, if they want to do anything interesting, they're going to have to challenge orthodoxies. That, that's interesting, because the thing, again, like the being and the doing, is the science world, like the philosophy world, starts off by trying to disprove it. Yes. And in fact, disproving is important and proving is important. So to bounce, it's like a trombone zoom. It's like the infinity. You go to, to prove and disprove, prove and disprove. But if you just try and disprove everything, mm-hmm. then in fact, your approach is from moves towards one perspective. Now, there's infinite perspectives, but let's... Two, Two is an easier way to start. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's true. In science, it's much, much more about disproving things. I mean, we actually don't prove hardly anything, but we do disprove quite a lot. But, um, I mean, it's, you know, one of the most insulting things you can say to another scientist yeah. is that their theory isn't even wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but then you put the word even. It's not, yeah. my, it's not my quote, unfortunately. I wish it was. But that's also, uh, on, on the, in the oven. Whether this is an intentional or unintentional, uh, outrageous plug for the book. Well, I was no, we're going to talk about the book. Definitely. The quote that so Ken Robinson. Yeah. But the, the, there's a Heraclitus quote. Heraclitus quote I came across recently, whenever that is, um, and this I'm assuming is a fat Greek bloke in a cape that sat on a chair with some sandals. I no, don't he know. wasn't. He was very thin. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, but. He said, and I'm sure he's not the first person to have it said it like this. No man puts his leg in the same river twice. For the river is never the same. And the man is never the same. So if you then translate that, the River Thames as an object is the River Thames. But as you start zooming into the River Thames and its ebb and flow in the way, you know, it, the, 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 the 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 tides, the mineral content, the reflection of the light, the, 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 the earth temperature, the bottom, the, it's infinite. It keeps on going. And the person, every minute of the day, second breath in, out, has the potential to change. 
And nowadays, it seems to me that people say, well, have you seen it? Oh, yeah, I've been there, done that, seen that, that next. Been there, done that, seen that, next. But you could listen to a song infinitely. You might get fed up with it if it's, if it's like, you know, again and again and again. Mm. But a constant, it's like an anchor. I see it as an anchor. The beauty f- for me is being able to actually relate to the same words, the same to whatever, and look at it as a barometer of my own self-awareness or evolution or or development. Because now, tick the box, tick the box. Does, it, does, does this lead into quantum gastronomy? Yes. So, would you like to explain to us what do you how what you think uh, what you what, what quantum astronomy is for you? Well, that's what I call a bit of a roller coaster of insights and ideas. I have to say, I was rather reassured to discover the disadvantage of having a colossal brain from two people with immense brains. <laughs> what about part two? That's a very good question. Find out on Friday. 